internet all full of scorpions is my mind, dear wife. My name is Matthew Kroll. And my hands are of your color, but I shame to wear a heart so white. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Tragedy of Macbeth. It is a tragedy, isn't it? You know, like it's not a, it's not one of his comedies. It's not well, a lot it, of is, it is not a, it is not a lighthearted romp. Macduff uh, is not really having a good time in this movie. No one's really <laughs> having a good time in this movie. But you know who might have a good time? <laughs> well, maybe we hope so, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Everybody uh, with us today to explore this retelling of this tragic tale is the creator and host of the phenomenal YouTube channel Foreign Man in a Foreign Land that is working towards saving Caribbean culture with commentary. Foreign himself, welcome to the show, good sir. Oh, that is the absolute most. In 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 light of uh, Macbeth, actually, I'm not sure if he said it, but you dress me in borrowed robes because <laughs> <laughs> I I I just feel totally that that's far too much of a pomp and circumstance for me. But I'll take it anyway. Hi, you lovely people. How are you doing? Can I give you the biggest compliment that I, that I after spending a day watching your videos? For the rest of the week, I wandered around, and any time I would see my son do something stupid in the house... You called it skullduggery? I would storm into the room and say, what skullduggery is this? <laughs> I it's just like, for a week solid, I've just been like, what skullduggery? I'm going to put it on a shirt. I'm going to put it on a shirt. I think it's a Scottish term, but I'm just yeah. going to appropriate it. I think that there's enough Scottish influence in the Bahamas that I think they'll be fine with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> That and needs to be on merch a hundred percent. Like that's just there's a that's a no brain. That's yeah. I I uh, I too have found myself using it. I I haven't been, I haven't been yelling at children with it, but I have used it once or twice since watching your stuff. My um, my child is now yelling it at me. By the way, as well. Oh good. Oh this is excellent. If you record yeah. that, I'll put it in the next video with your permission, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so, so uh, foreign. You and I have have uh, came in contact with one another through the Nebula family, and uh, our our uh, I guess um, uh, fearless leader over there, one of them, uh, Dave Whiskus, who has been on the show before. Um, and I uh, messaged in the in the Nebula Slack. I was like, "Hey, is there anybody in here that uh, you know is really into Shakespeare? Because we're going to be talking about the tragedy of Macbeth." And like, and uh, you were the first one to message back, and you're like, "Yo, this, this, this," and like, and it was so nice um, because I, you know, it's it's always weird, especially in like little conglomerations of slacks, yeah. because I I'd, I'd read what you'd written, and I I chime in when I can, and like just all around, but I was so psyched to actually get to talk to you about this, and that you were psyched about it. Oh, what yeah. um what exactly is your history with with Shakespeare in general that that made you be like yeah I want I want to <laughs> talk about this I mean I didn't actually I heard about um I heard about tragedy and Macbeth happening I didn't know when it was happening and mm. I also didn't know okay this isn't a spoiler I also didn't know that Denzel Washington would be the protagonist uh yeah. so all of this is very I hope that's not a spoiler but all of this is very <laughs> um was very interesting to me. I didn't realize until to until I watched it that Denzel Washington right, was the protagonist. Really? So that yeah, so all of this was actually just great. My love for Macbeth and that play in particular came about very early because my father is is a Shakespearean buff and mm -hmm. I literally grew up having to read Macbeth. Um and we also had the little cassette plays, the little cassette tapes mm -hmm. uh that had literally, you know, the one that you wind up, the old school ones. And right. I used to listen to that on my way to school, and this is the Bahamas, so very like grammar school based, by rote, 
uh, we had to read Macbeth. So I am very much inculcated, some may say inured, to Shakespearean, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Shakespearean dramas. And I literally, like, have a lot of... When I was watching it, just to say, when I was watching it from the onset, me and my fiance were watching it, and I was reciting like the first, like first five mm. minutes, and she was so annoyed with me that she just absolutely <laughs> threw whatever she could find in the nearest vicinity at me. She's like, "Can I watch the show?" And I'm like, "Yeah, but I haven't watched it in so long." And it's like talking with an old friend, yeah. um, until it wasn't, and I guess we'll get into that soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, Shahir, what about you, buddy? I, we've talked on this podcast for a long time, but I don't think we've really ever touched on Shakespeare that much. No, listen, I, I will have the, 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 the most common Anglo-Saxon, you know, <laughs> colonist school, high school experience with Shakespeare, which is that we Same. all, you know, we, we were all taught Shakespeare at some point. Uh, it is a gateway into literature or it is perceived as a, um, you know, a, a, a barrier into your, into your understanding of literature it has to do with your ability to accept Shakespeare in some point and there's that you know there's that initial barrier which is like what does the language mean and can you can you pass yourself through the sort of the what is it, the iambic pentameter of of the language to, to actually understand what is being said um so I you know I had that experience um I was an actor in high school um and so uh, I don't know if either of you had this experience as well but you know I went to an old boys school for one uh and then whenever we you know were choosing which Shakespeare play we were going to do that year there was always be this moment uh, because I was also the only brown person in the school <laughs> where there was like, we're like, you know, like someone during the class would say, you know, we could do Shakespeare. Uh, we could do Othello. And they would just sort of glance over at me. <laughs> and I'd be like, look. And again, because we went to an old boys school, I was like, well, do I get to pick who Desdemona is? But um, was... <laughs> at least you get that luxury, bro. And I, actually, we didn't, we, we did a reading of Othello as far as I remember. I, I think I remember most that we did a Henry V, like an abridged version of Henry V on stage. I can't remember who I played. I know I died fairly early. Um, I was not. I was not the titular Henry. Oh well. Um, um, but yes, uh, and then of course, you know, like I think cinema-wise. The, the other interesting thing is when you're studying Shakespeare in high school, uh, it's every English teacher's favorite thing is to have one class devoted to watching an adaptation on, sc- on screen. And it's, if you're unlucky, you got one of the sort of BBC versions, which was uh, essentially just a filmed play. And if you were lucky, mm. you might get the Polanski Macbeth. You might, you know, if you, depending on what year you were born, you might get the Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet. Um, or you might, you know, you maybe someone was cool enough to give you clueless uh for the taming of the shrew um you know i think i i do remember we went we all went to see um a midsummer night's dream uh as a class and um what was branner's um what was branner's uh the other washington denzel washington i've gone blank on it right now um, oh kenneth Branagh. oh uh which no i i know he did a you know his famously was the he yeah, did yeah, the yeah. henry the fifth but what was his denzel washington uh shakespeare uh, was it mm. was it the Taming of the Shrew? Was it the you Who know can Google it, it had, the fastest? Uh, much ado, I'm yeah, trying, much I'm ado about trying. nothing. It was much ado. Yeah. Ah, so you know, you I remember me. we went. And, you know, we saw Taming of the Shrew. We saw much much ado about nothing. I will admit, um, I. I don't know why I see this scene in movies a lot where people quote Shakespeare to each other. I'm not one of those people. I, I, I don't have a, a grab bag of Shakespeare quotes at the ready. Um, you know, uh, 
I like, I certainly, and, and what I found getting older is that my, my barrier to entry into Shakespeare is much, much lower. Like I'm, uh, I'm maybe, you know, cause you, you read more as you get older and you just kind of like, and you, you know what to expect. So you just, you know, like it's easier to understand Shakespeare the older you get. I feel mm-hmm. I, 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 that, that's my experience anyway. That makes sense. I mean, I guess because you're not, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think of like, like you know, teenage me trying to get into this stuff yeah. a, versus versus now. And I think now, due to, I think, being a more complete person, I just sort of let different experiences I am not used to just sort of wash over me and be like, ah, and if you just sort of like ride the wave of whatever you're doing, you can get on board much easier than if you're like, I don't understand this. What are these words? <laughs> like, it's, it's, I don't know. I get that. That makes sense. But uh, Farah, because you were coming on, I actually, I listened to uh, a podcast um, by the Folgers Shakespeare Library, uh, which has <laughs> as, uh, one of the largest collections of uh, Shakespeare uh, history. And um, they they actually had a special episode devoted to uh, Shakespeare in the Caribbean. And mm. and so I immediately started listening to that. And uh, I got very interested in the history of how Shakespeare, you know, uh, you know, again, part of the colonist history of the Caribbean mm-hmm. uh, was brought to the Caribbean and then how it became kind of um, uh, a signal in uh, Caribbean culture for um, being knowledgeable, um, being mm-hmm. well-versed in, in, in uh, culture, being, being a well-versed uh, person was, was your ability to uh, know and understand Shakespeare. And, and uh, on that episode, there was a person by the name of Dr. Giselle Rampol, who's a lecturer at the University of West Indies, who talked about mm. in Grenada, uh, there being this sort of like common thing called um, the cuckoo boys, I think it was, uh, or something. I, I'm probably saying it wrong, but mm. they would battle each other by re- by doing live readings of Julius Caesar, and and I was like, oh, the, like the the actual my understanding of like how important Shakespeare was to a culture was very very limited uh but realizing that they, that in certain parts of the world it you know obviously in the uk uh mm-hmm. you know like uh trips to the globe are, are renowned and shakespeare is a common figure um but you know just this idea that shakespeare has permeated culture he's probably the world's most famous writer of all time and, would that would be and, controversial to say that i think i think if, i think that's fair and it's yeah. it's even more interesting when you think of he probably wasn't the only writer or he may very no. well not have written all of yes, what yeah. he's yeah. assigned to. Yeah. It's funny. There's been, there's been, we just did a, a short on this actually over on the EC channel. Uh, I don't think it's out yet. I can't keep track because my mind is a bag of cats, <laughs> but the, 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 people have dumped all of Shakespeare's plays into an algorithm to figure out exactly like around what dates they would be written based on language he used for the first time and all this other stuff and also his known collaborators and when they were working in the in the play scene around that time. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of also get this weird meta, meta connection of like, oh, well, this dude was with him for like these three or four oh, because the verbiage of this is very different from this next one here. Like, so... We're starting to, even with like computer learning, we're able to sort of like figure out like, oh yeah, there's definitely different collaborators for different things because just the way that they're done and when we think they were finished is like, we're, we're like slowly piecing it together. I, I find how, that. I wonder how that will affect his like, well, there, maybe they're non-binary. I, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I wonder how that will affect Shakespeare's legacy. Yeah. You know? mm. I, and, and one of my, so uh, just my history with it, I don't have much history with it beyond seeing film versions of it. In fact, I think the first Shakespeare theater experience I had 
was when uh, back back when I was at MTV, my friend Katie, she was like, hey, I got an extra ticket to A Midsummer Night's Dream with Shakespeare in, a par- in the park. Do you want to go? And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. And we went, and it was so freaking good. Like, I just went on a kick for a while, and I was like, I, I, I'm like 30-something. How did I, like, miss going to see this live? But yeah. the thing that's fascinated me the most about Shakespeare is actually less so, you know, the works, which, of course, are renowned, but the idea, and and, and uh, foreign to your point, of the concept of celebrity in a case like a person like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we were just saying, could be multiple people. We don't know really much, at least in the, in the research that I've tried to do, and I'm sure there's scholars that could, you know, talk circles around me, but like, it he's just like, he's, or they, they they've transcended what can be known about a person at this point like everyone knows the name mm-hmm. but no one and the works but that's all we have like well, of course and, it's, it's i mean we're you know it's a we're, we're long since past the era of shakespeare right i i know but like it's it's to ha- like i guess it's sort of like how many people how many historical figures could you say their name anywhere on the planet and people will be like oh yeah yep yeah. It's, that person, he's like, definitely, he's synonymous. With, well, they are synonymous with uh, uh, with both both playwriting, uh, with dialogue, with speaking, mm-hmm. with cinema, with you know, like it's it's he, he, they stand for a lot. And the way, just it's interesting because other than like historical leaders or 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 things like that, we don't have many historical or religious or something sort of leaders as far as like like. I guess artists are concerned. <laughs> the name is just like, oh yeah, you could say that anywhere on the planet, and nine times out of ten, people are gonna, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Romeo and Juliet or whatever. <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I find that fascinating, especially with. Well, we won't get into it because it's off topic, but like the concept of celebrity in in twenty twenty two, like how like the way media sort of functions. Like, I I always do stupid mind games of like how would Shakespeare function now? Like, <laughs> it's like funny. it's funny because uh, last uh, just a couple of weeks ago we did the Lost Order, and the author of the Lost Order is a writer by the name of Elena Ferrante, um, who has purposely kept herself anonymous. Um, people, it's it's a pseudonym. Nobody knows really who she is. Um, her books are bestsellers, but um, you know, there's there's a lot of speculation. The only other person I can think of that sort of maybe inadvertently achieved that same sort of um, aversion from the limelight is Thomas Pynchon. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that you know, I think there's something interesting to that idea of uh, devoiding yourself of 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 uh, like the personal and the and the and the practice as well. You know, like I think there is something. Uh, unique about that because the way we read Pinchon is sort of d- divorced from what we know about his personal life, which is we don't know a hell of a lot. And it's it, there's a, but what I think is interesting in terms of this co- question of authorship around Shakespeare is, um, and I think other than for serious historians and people who study Shakespeare, how does knowing the true identity of Shakespeare change right. anything? <clears throat> you know, like does it does it affect anything about? Our, our interaction with the work at all. Well, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. I think that I think that it's really interesting to, you know, supplant them into a more modern time where a lot of the art is the artist. A lot of yeah. the art nowadays, you know, you have to be omnipresent on every platform, social media, all of these things and things, but they never ask of you to, you know, if, you, if you're not, like I think of people like Frank Ocean, who... Mm. 
or Kendrick Lamar who tries to stay away from yeah. the limelight, but they're on the merit of their work. They're yeah. just that transcendent that they can do that. They have the luxury to do that. However, Kim Kardashian, if they were to stay away from the limelight for, I mean, totally different type of creators, but, sure. yeah. you know, if they were to stay away from the limelight, they would literally, you know, have a lot of outlash about where is Kim Kardashian, you know, just yeah. that, mm-hmm. just that absence. And I think that the idea being that how does knowing the artist change the art? It goes back to what we were saying a little bit before the podcast of mm-hmm. how do you enjoy art from artists that may be problematic in their own personal lives and yeah. and their own dalliances uh, privately. And I think that it doesn't necessarily have to um, always. I think that there's definitely some cases where the the act is so vile, so heinous, that you can't stomach, uh, right. you know, patronizing a particular artist. But for the most part, you know, if you look at, like I said, the Cosby show, um, mm-hmm. you know, or we were talking about Polanski earlier. If mm-hmm. you, you know, you can watch the Cosby show, but understanding what Cosby has done, understanding maybe the tropes in the show itself, I have built, you know, a considerable amount of a, my catalog excoriating retroactively. Uh, media like Pirates of the Caribbean that has a lot of questionable depictions of Caribbean culture, like the Bond franchise that has mm. very questionable depictions of mm-hmm. Caribbean culture. Yeah. Um, and I still think that you should be able to appreciate Bond. Yeah. And I think that you should appreciate him more knowing these things, not even yeah. not even in spite of, but more so. Because yeah. you, you have now this this holistic an all-encompassing panorama perspective of these pieces of art that are now influenced by diversity of uh, perspectives. So now you can watch Live and... I mean, Live and Let Die? Is that the one yeah. that... That's yes. my that's the worst bond for me. <laughs> and you could watch that and you could watch the depictions of Obia, which is yeah. a religious practice, and say, okay, I know the Caribbean people on average are not all voodoo practitioners and yeah, not wielding course, yeah. snakes at, at yeah. you know, white men tied to stakes. Yeah. <laughs> and you could appreciate it afterwards. You know, right. like, I know that and I could see the differences. There's an interesting thing as well, because, you know, I'm from uh, New Zealand and, uh, and then originally from Fiji. Mm. There's an interesting thing in minority cultures that I experience, um, as well as being an Indian, uh, is that e- even if the depiction is problematic, there is occasionally just this sense of like, regardless of the problematic side of it, we're just excited to see ourselves on screen regardless. Mm. And like, there's this thing, you know, I, I, I talk mm-hmm. about this um, uh, when... When Slumdog Millionaire came out, it was hard. Not, you know, like, everyone's going to call me Slumdog for, like, I know, you know, like, I, I as soon as this thing blows up and it wins Best Picture, every Indian who lives in a Western culture is just like, ah, oh, boy. Oh. Uh, the amount of Slumdog jokes I'm going to have to put up with for, like, the next year, you know, is, is, is unbearable. But at the same time, if you go to Slumdog Millionaire, you will see every Indian person bring their entire family to go watch that movie because there's this, like, hey... I'm getting to see, you know, like at least I'm up on screen in some way. And yes, it can be problematic. Yes, it's, you know, it, it has uh, issues with it. By the way, I actually like Slumdog Millionaire. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, like the, there's this sort of sense of like, in, I was thinking about, the, you know, in, in terms of Fiji, the two probably most famous films that were shot in Fiji, 
feature no Fijians whatsoever. Mm. Um, and I think it's the blue. I, I, someone will probably correct me on this. But Fiji does not have like a prolific uh, uh, cinema uh, of its own. Uh, but I think, you know, I think the two most famous productions from Fiji would be The Blue Lagoon with Brooke Shields uh, mm. from the 80s or 70s or whatever it was and uh, Castaway with Tom Hanks. And mm. both of those films are about remote islands Wilson. where we don't actually see anyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so if there was like a Fijian film, if there was, if James Bond came to Fiji, uh. we, we'd all turn up for it, you know. <laughs> and I think that I think that that's very important. It's it's erasure or misrepresentation yeah. of, of yourself, you know. Yeah. And and I that's how I felt too when I watched uh, Casino Royale, which which I said is literally outside my dad's house. Like yeah, that's, I noticed. Yeah. That scene, it, that scene, I filmed it on the beach across, like literally a road away. I walk barefoot onto that beach every yeah. day across the, like the sweltering. Do you sweltering. parkour up the, up the thing as well? <laughs> Do I park on the, you know, the, it's the defense force right there. Oh, so really? the defense force is literally the army. So oh. they filmed that on the army's property. Uh, yeah. So it's really interesting to see it there. And I remember when I was young, this this ashy, chubby kid watching this pirated, sorry, not pirated, rented, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rented um, ca- Casino Royale. And I see it and I drop my Domino's pizza and I look at this, you know, mouth agape. And I'm just like, that's my, that's the beach that I, I was just there. When the hell were you all there? You know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, and, and the thing is, you get excited because you, you're represented. But at the yeah. same time, are you represented? You know, are you misrepresented? Right. And and as you say, you don't see any um, Fijians. F- Fijians, Fijians, yeah. Of, <laughs> you, you don't see, yeah. you don't see them there, and that's yeah. exactly what happened in Casino Royale. You didn't see any just regular Bahamians. If there were Bahamians there, they were in the service industry. They were yeah. they were dealing cards. They were in the casino as waiters and waitresses, but they were not regular, and you don't yeah. feel that representation. And um, and that's a good, I don't know if you want to segue into Macbeth, but it's also something that I saw interesting in Macbeth, which is, which was really interesting, um, given that the protagonist, of course, the elephant in the room, Macbeth yeah. is black. Macbeth <laughs> is black, yeah. <laughs> the Scottish black, black man is, uh, is I, I don't think it's unusual. I, I, I've been to Scotland and there are African-American, uh, African people in Scotland, mm-hmm. but it is, yeah. It, there to, is a, to see him turn into the king. And yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know. It is a moment. But, but then at, at the same time, there is something about the fact that, you know, and we'll, we'll segue into the film, I guess here. There is something about the fact that this is a stage production that fe- like it feels like a stage production or a German expressionist yes. version. Mm-hmm. And then at the center of it are two of the most exalted movie stars two you know probably the most exalted movie stars oscar winners you know actors mm-hmm. with a capital a at the center of it yes. that and the reason i picked the line that i that i picked was that it was like it was the only point at in the film where i felt like race where just the race of the character was being underlined mm. and the interesting thing about the the racial casting is that in many ways it doesn't feel underlined and i think and 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 yes. and not only does it not feel underlined in the actual uh, the material, the way the material is played out by uh, you know by Joel Cohen, but it's also not underlined by any of the marketing, the promotional material. And I think I, I would suggest that that really just has to do with the level of of audience understanding of who and what Denzel Washington represents as an actor, which is that it's not to say that he's post-racial or anything like that, or, or that hmm. his race doesn't matter. But that his his identity is is 
beyond fixed barriers where we if someone's you know like, and he is a he is a well-known shakespearean actor um but but to say denzel washington's gonna play i i well, i guess what i'm saying is it would have been perhaps 20 years ago if they were making a shakespearean movie and they would have done what it would have happened to me in high school which is like oh i guess we're doing a fellow if we've got denzel washington right mm-hmm. but but now it doesn't feel like that is even a conversation anymore and and that was actually quite amazing i i, I actually I felt quite sort of taken aback by that, that, that it didn't feel like it was part of the text. It just felt like, here's an actor, here's another actor, here's the play. Hmm. And I don't know, did, 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 it, did it feel that way to either of you? Matt, how do you feel about it? I, I, I think I'm on board with that reading of hmm. it. I, and mainly because, and this is not to discount literally any of the acting, I think the acting throughout this entire thing was... Uh, did did service to to the play i was more <clears throat> i was more enamored and i don't know and sometimes this happens to me with films especially ones that are a little bit more i don't, I don't know if i want to call it stagey but what what use the term she here uh I, I think it had an expressionistic quality expressionistic though. yeah because i was like i was leaning on when i when i saw like the 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 set design and the art direction i was like oh man this is leaning on like about endlessness or like even like uh, a pigeon sat in a roof like very sort of like <laughs> it's almost like a diorama mm-hmm. of what's going on and the stark lighting and like all that stuff and because of the way I, I took what you sort of said you hear about like oh the the race of the characters didn't really go into my mind after I, I thought about it after the fact because during it it did not mm-hmm. uh, I think for me though I sort of dissected it and I was like oh I wonder if that is because of maybe to your point Shir, sort of Denzel's place in Hollywood cinema in general and since Shakespeare is sort of a prestige work and this is a prestige sort of piece and da 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 like whatever but then I was like I also wanted to credit a little bit the the art direction and the way that this thing is shot making everything just feel I don't know like nothing nothing remotely for me like i was just in macbeth like everything felt like it was perfectly placed mm-hmm. like and i think the overall the overall sort of style of the piece which is what locked me in again i, I am not a shakespeare i i do not know my shakespeare well but i was in this and it was funny sorry this is a side note i watched this with my girlfriend jamie and and she is She's she knows this shit like she is in it. And she, I think, was worried due to uh, me being me like I wouldn't like it because it was Shakespeare or whatever. Like it just didn't. uh, And like I could see her looking over, like looking over at me like, is he like, is he? Did she like it? Oh, she she did. She did like it. But she issues. Yeah. But not. not, You know, because I because as someone that has had intimate time with Macbeth. And I feel like I'm going to go against the grain, not only here, but just in, in general, because I briefly, before getting on, I just searched up Tragedy of Macbeth because I hadn't done that. And I'm all like, you know, this is ridiculous. Maybe maybe there's something just glaring about this that I'm just, just totally evaded me. And right. and as you say, a lot of the propaganda, a lot of the um, a lot of the stuff around it does not make mention of Denzel. And I think that's purposeful. Um, they don't make mention of Denzel's blackness. Uh, no, the right, the yeah. blackness is very much... It's Denzel, full stop. Exactly. Yeah. And I yeah, think that yeah. that is about his place. It's the same as a Morgan Freeman. And it also, yeah. the interesting part about those things is the, priv- the, the part of privilege that they have transcended to as black men 
you know, the late Sidney Poitier just passed, and mm-hmm. he's of Bahamian heritage. I'm not yeah. sure if you're aware, but he but he's a Bahamian man. Uh, he has a bridge in the Bahamas, and yeah. uh, it's amazing the the bounds that he's been able to you know just saunter over with grace and style and finesse. Uh, and I we really don't realize how big Poitiers was until I mean the, the Ministry of Tourism in the Bahamas is just shuffling trying to go and capitalize off the name right now because it's just like we don't have anything about Poitiers and Poitiers <laughs> is like literally one of the biggest things in, yeah. in Hollywood. But um, going back to the blackness about it, Poitiers was out there um, on the front lines with Harry Belafonte, uh, mm. just advocating just voraciously uh, for civil rights and. Yeah. I think that that's one of the only times that Poitier... Poitier just broke a lot of uh, tropes and barriers when it came to just blackness in film. Uh, and I don't want to make this about him, but, you know, just slapping a white man on camera is on just camera, absolutely, just, just absolutely unheard of. Yeah. I, I want people to appreciate just how... <laughs> what? You know? So yeah. Um, yeah. when you get to Denzel, and and uh, and my, my fiancé, of course, loves Denzel... Like pretty much every who every doesn't but I but there's a reason why especially black women in particular love Denzel. <laughs> you have no yeah. clue because she's just like oh my god Denzel's on camera. I said okay you know Denzel yeah. is not sharing your bed right now. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Denzel like like if we remember that Salt and Pepper lyric. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, a body like Arnold with a Denzel face. Mm-hmm. You know like it's just like they de- love him. Like, Denzel is transcendent, right? Indeed. Like, and his name is synonymous with not just his performative qualities, but also his beauty, right? In, indeed. And and yeah. one thing that's important about it that I was getting to, um, I mean, first of all, let me extol the fact that uh, I think that I, I love The Witch right off the yep. bat. I oh, love my the God. Witch. I just want to glance on it really quickly. I know we could we could gush over it a lot. I just want to say this before I say anything disparaging about it. But I sure. love I love the witch. Um, I yeah, love I love Burnham Wood. I love that was beautiful. Yeah. That was emotionally a part of. I just I just had to take a second and breathe. Mm-hmm. But I felt like Denzel really phoned this in for me. I really felt like he didn't. He I think that the 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 movie itself. Pay, was somewhat faithful to the script. I was able to say lines verbatim that were from the play itself, but like everything. But man, how Denzel just rushed through. Um, but here, Tomorrow's upon this bike and shoal of time, we jump the yeah. life to come. You know, and he just he just ran through it. He just ran. I'm just like, God damn! Like there's pregnant pauses in that. You know, yeah. out, out, <laughs> brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts his hour upon the stage. And then it's heard from no more. It's like a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury. Signif- I mean, I know Denzel, but this was not training day Denzel. This was no. not. No. But but then to that end, I think there is an expectation because it's not just again, it's not just Denzel's performative qualities. It is like Denzel has this again. It's not just his actually ability. He also is a leading man with a capital L. Right, like he is, he is. Denzel's entire performative career is about authority, right? Like it is about power and authority and how much he exudes it in on screen. Mm-hmm. Like if you think That's about true. Malcolm X and and his way with words in that film, uh, even I, and I think even poorly in a film like The Hurricane, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Denzel's entire and and of course Training Day, um, his entire performative 
um, body of work has been around his ability to command authority regardless of the room. He is always the one in control. He is the one in power. He is the one who makes decisions. Mm -hmm. And so for him to do Macbeth, there is perhaps an expectation that that is what he is going to do. But Macbeth is a really complicated character. And, and, And I think... There is something interesting going on here. Now, I, 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 we should. I, I will talk specifically about how I felt about it. But Matt, perhaps we should. For those who <laughs> I just forgot not I, done high school English. <laughs> what is Macbeth about? I oh. ruined the format. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. There is no, no format. <laughs> there is no format. Well, just in case anybody doesn't know what the tragedy of Macbeth is about, the good folks over at the Internet Movie Database have us covered with their short synopsis of what it is, which I will read right now. A Scottish lord becomes convinced by a trio of witches that he will become the next king of Scotland, and his ambitious wife supports him in his plan of seizing power. That's Macbeth. That is That is, is, Macbeth. That is, a, uh, that is a correct... Actually, it, it just con- kind of brings me to another point, uh, just very briefly, was that uh, it wasn't just his blackness that was kind of not alluded to. I think one thing that... Another way to sort of... The barometer of how to read the film as well is I think the Scottishness of it all was not alluded to. Like, Brendan exactly. Gleeson plays uh, Duncan. But I, I didn't feel... Like, you know, there is a... There is a... Uh, the Justin Kurziel film, which came out just a few years ago in 2015, um, which I think plays into the Scottish highlands of it all. But mm. the Scottishness of it all is not on on stage. And I think purposefully so. There was no... that I think, yeah, I think you just hit it for me, here. This felt like... And again, I go back to the art direction sort of pushing this all in this direction. It felt like the story in a void. Mm. Yes. Like, I, I, yes. didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really get hints of, like... Any culture, yes. like like it was it was literally this is a Shakespeare play. It is not Scottish. Denzel, his race wasn't sort of in in the front and center at all in that thing. It like it 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 just like is in this like weird like pocket dimension mm-hmm. <laughs> where where like nothing else mattered but what was happening to these characters. And uh, foreign to your point, I was not on board with Denzel for the first third of this movie. Hmm. When once once he goes through the plan, spoiler alert, and becomes uh, and becomes king, and he started ha- like when he started to sort of transition into you know Macbeth later in in this in this tale, I was like, it's almost like a shell was cracking off, and I was like, oh, oh, okay, all right, like like that's when I started getting like the. I, I don't I don't know what to call it because I'm not an actor, but like sort of like the micro like movements in like the small muscles in his face sort of mm. doing things and like it was like a like a very restrained like and that goes for other actors in the in the piece as well. But like there was a transitional moment where I was like I don't really know. He does seem like he's kind of phoning it. Wait, what's that? <laughs> but- oh. oh. Like, yeah, I don't know. What, Sheer, sorry. No, well, because I, I, I was going to say, okay, so there's there's the erasure of identity. There's the movie stardom quality of the whole entire thing. And then for me, the third thing that is that is the, look, in, in every Shakespeare adaptation to screen, there's got to be the thing that this particular version is doing that is different. So mm. again, in the Curzial version, it was the, it was the sort of gritty, like that film was almost Apocalypse Now, uh, you know, Macbeth is Apocalypse Now. Um, there, there was actually another version that came out in two, uh, not a, an adaptation, but there was a, a movie called Lady Macbeth, which was about the early years of Lady Macbeth with mm. Florence Pugh that came out a few years ago. Um, and, oh. I, and I have to, I have to preface this. 
which is that I actually watched The Tragedy of Macbeth about three weeks ago. And and I did not re-watch it for this mm. because what I actually ended up doing was watch other adaptations. And um, so I watched the Curzio version. I watched the Kurosawa Throne of Blood. I watched the Orson Welles version. Um, I was sort of just interested. And, and then I started... Did you go the, to sleep no more? <laughs> I did not <laughs> sleep no more. I, I, I started the... Um, uh, I started the Polanski version again. I didn't quite finish the Polanski version, um, but I was I was just interested in finding, you know, like thinking about how the play has transcended to through different periods and what every filmmaker is doing in order to kind of like just in a way justify their uh, their reason for doing it. because ostensibly, you know, when anyone, if it, no matter if it be a Joel Cohen or or anyone. Um, whenever there's a point where someone says, I'm going to do Shakespeare, th- there has to be a moment where they'll go, okay, what are we going to do with Shakespeare? You know, what are we going to do with this particular play to make it interesting? And um, uh, I-, I think there's an inter- the, 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 the thing for me in this was both the, 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 the staging of it, uh, the, the sort of expressionistic sort of four by three sense of, uh, mm-hmm. sense of um, abstractionism uh, or expressionism about it. But then the second thing that I think was always been interesting about Macbeth is the story of childlessness and the, mm. the idea of Macbeth in this particular version being played by a 67-year-old man. Uh, which is not how Macbeth has been played in in past, and you know, much of the play has to do with um, both the yearning and the need for an heir. And in this version, both with Francis McDormand and Denzel Washington, I think there is something really interesting about mm. the idea that these are not people like you know, Macbeth is all about ambition as well. Yes, uh, this is not about a- the young man's ambition for uh, 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 the throne. This is about. Uh, an older man thinking about legacy um, in the face of what is ostensibly a childless, uh, you know, a childless ma- a family. Um, and, and I think having 67-year-old Denzel Washington play Macbeth is a really interesting take. And it does, it does do some interesting things. I, I I'll preface with all of this with also, I didn't love the movie, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought it was fine. I <laughs> think, and, and honestly, and that really brings a lot into context for me, because, you know, as you said, this is this is a movie about not only ambition, but blinding ambition. And mm. and, and, and ambition that... Irrational, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I really miss, I, I really felt like the plot moved very quickly, especially in the first, in the first half, um, mm. because I didn't get that, that, uh, development that Macbeth had in the beginning where he comes from just being this, you know, spent swimmer that that literally fought his life out there and, you know, was still somewhat in the in the mode of I'll work hard and I'll gain what I'm supposed to as I'm awarded. But it it seemed like as soon as um as soon as he spoke to the witches the first time you know i didn't mm. see much of the conversation going back where he you know was was contemplating it and saying you know yeah. this is wrong i didn't see that inner turmoil um turmoil that i got initially from the play and from the other recordings and from prior depictions of it it just seemed like he was just voracious from the beginning he had that avarice this this mm. this ambition was just there from the beginning to the well, point where and I think it has to do with legacy right like it has to do with he's, he's not that, yeah. thinking about like the throne as as he's not thinking about the throne as uh, a, a means to an end he's thinking about the throne as the end mm-hmm. right? yeah. which is which is different to how we read Macbeth that that's hmm. you know that's true that that is true and I think that um 
and and Lady Macbeth I found interesting and I and I do want to add for a little bit also look at at his blackness in the context of this because it was interesting for me watching it mm-hmm. um and I I think that it was also interesting when I saw Lady Macbeth because mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Denzel Washington has had this this um this yes, thing. I'm aware. Yeah, <laughs> he has this thing we... where he has never kissed a white woman on camera. Oh, that's what uh... that's where I was going with that. He... Oh, no, he's <laughs> not here. I, I well, because I know when sh- he got game. I think he and Mila Jovovich did he hook up? I think. You I sure? might be wrong about I, that. Because I'm, I'm pretty I, sure, like, I even, like, researched it beforehand, and I was just saying, because I'm pretty sure... That and he, I'm also thinking... I know you re- rejected uh, Julia Roberts. What about uh, Julia Roberts in... He rejected um, that. Yeah, the Pelican I, case. I'm pretty sure he rejected that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Fact check me. But I'm... Okay. Because he he has made it a point. He's made it a point to do that. That's his shtick. And that is yeah. because he understands his audience and, and his undi- undying fandom. Um, yeah. And his place. So it was really interesting to see this relationship with Lady Macbeth, and that's why the the choice of of Macbeth being black was interesting to me, uh, because of of course it being in a vacuum and it being in this in this land that's untethered from from culture, devoid of of a lot of the things that we find to be quotidian of of everyday occurrence and racial mm-hmm. discourse and whatnot. But you know, if you put it into the context of 2021, it's it's an interesting thing to look at because the only other black person is uh, Macduff. Um, that I'm correct, right? I'm pretty sure. Like, uh, Macduff yeah. and Lady Macduff. Corey Hawkins, there. right? Yeah. Uh, right. Was it? Uh, yeah. Well, Corey Hawkins it, it played Macduff, but then uh, Moses Ingram was Lady Macduff. But she okay. was only in for one scene. Yeah. Okay, that's why. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. That that just goes to show how much of an impression she made on me. Um, yeah. but, but like, <laughs> By the way, Farhan, you are absolutely. I I was unaware of the of the, the refusal to kiss uh, white Roberts? woman on screen. Um, and <laughs> I I'm I Googled it as we're speaking, and it is a thing. You're 100 correct, and I I retract my. Uh, I'm oh, going no. to watch his films through that lens now. I always found <laughs> that hang interesting. On, hang on, because I've seen Malcolm X a bunch of times as well. And I'm going to say, in Malcolm X, his first, the whole thing with Red in Malcolm X is he has a white girlfriend at the beginning guess, of that movie. I guess they were very, very... Maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> like, you, one foot on the floor at all Spike time. is a different equation. <laughs> I, but it's, it's a very interesting thing that Denzel has done. And I think yeah. it's because he understands, um, like I said, his fan base. Like, he has a very... Also, fucking... Um, the movie with, <laughs> with Angelina he's Jolie. not going to let this, this go for This is the rest collector. of the he show has, like now. a sex scene in The Bone Collector with his finger. Hey. I, I watched too many Denzel movies. It's really, so that's interesting. Like, it's very difficult for me personally. I agree that he's transcended race, but in, the, in yeah. another hand, he's also very aware of it, I think, or at least his, yeah. his team is, because they have done some very interesting things to make sure that he appears to be a, spe- a specific way to a specific audience. But, um, but going back to how, how his blackness is casted, um, and then Macduff, I just found it very interesting. I, it was hard for me to explain it. I thought that they were going to do something cute with, um, you know, not being born of, of um, you know, natural yeah, birth. Like, I thought they were going to yeah. go and say Macduff was like adopted or something like that. I was just like, okay, yeah. that'd have been funny. That'd have been that'd have been interesting. But I, I was just like, okay, like, are, are we going to just ignore this? Like, are, are we just going to say, yeah, okay, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that that happens. It happens. Yeah. Macduff is black as a white father. That's yeah, I agree. Um, and and uh, you also have uh, Macbeth being black, 
And I don't know what time period this is supposed to be. This is the void of time, I guess, because, yep. you know, I'm just thinking to myself, like, are we are we just going to act like, <laughs> you know, Macbeth, like he would have been Macbeth and he wouldn't have, have been like, you know, yeah. are we just going to like watch this? So it's very difficult for me to, I you know, I felt like uh, Adam from your movie sucks.org or something like that. You know, I was just yeah. like, I was just like thinking contingencies. I was just like, okay, just things are not making sense and it's taking me out of the immersion of it. Um, so I'd be interested to hear your take on it as to how maybe it didn't come up for you. Maybe it wasn't much of a much of a factor for you when you were watching it. Well, I, I, from for me personally, I think you know uh, I I articulated this at the beginning, which is that it 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 plays in the back of your mind that 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 this is unusual to have this kind of casting, particularly with Shakespeare, particularly for a person, you know, again, who's famously had a play uh, about the, the the foils of being a black man in a white world, you know, so Othello mm-hmm. is, is, is famously Shakespeare's work on that. So to cast uh, uh, an African-American man as Macbeth, which is a play that has no racial dynamic in it, mm-hmm. um, is th- there is obviously something to that. But the things that get me through, the, the things that make me interested in the way that's done is that I feel like it is it is not part of the interpretive discourse of the text itself and it is not part uh, and then his particular brand of movie stardom transcends that um, <laughs> in in my as a lens for which to view it and not to say that that's correct or not but but that is how it worked for me uh, Matt I mean how did the actual film play for you with Jamie sitting next to you she had watched it beforehand and mm-hmm. and enjoyed uh, most of it. And then um, uh, I said I was doing it for the podcast. She's like, oh, I, I want to watch it again. Great, great, great. Yeah. And actually, uh, Vorn, you brought up you brought up the witches. But so when, when that Cap- sort of like yeah. I was just like Still listening excellent. and I was on board or whatever. And then uh, that actor or that Catherine uh, Hunter, oh, Catherine Hunter has done a ton of Shakespeare stuff. She played uh, Puck. She- in like a couple different pr- things of it, she's been doing a lot. She's of- incredible. In oh, yeah, she is the MVP. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the second like you know you watch her with the thumb and she goes forward and then like whatever and when um when Banquo and Macbeth walk up like I was in it I was like this is cool and then the second that it's like that that you know medium shot or sort of a little bit wide shot and it's her but then there's the two reflections mm-hmm. in the pool of her. Mm-hmm. I just went. I, I, I like. I don't normally talk during films at all, and I'm like, "That's fucking dope." Like, <laughs> yeah, I just. And, and then, and then sh- Jamie was like super happy that that like happened. And then, so like, I don't know. Whenever th- those moments, and even when they show up again in uh, in the castle and the in the water on the ground, and like every every sort of moment with them. Uh, was always sort of the focal point for me and, like, always snapped me back into it, especially, like, let's put it this way. I would not have been as, like, continually gung-ho in that first half when, again, I felt like it was kind of just lacking uh, until sort of the turn um, if, if the witches hadn't, like energized me to a point where i'm like oh they're i know they're coming back like this mm-hmm. is gonna be yeah. like i can't wait to see this thing and uh i forget which one of you said this it did feel rushed yeah mm-hmm. i was talking about the plot in the beginning like the development they didn't give they didn't give um dental enough time to breathe into that character yeah. just turning into it turning into just this avarice of Macbeth. Yeah. i didn't get yeah. that 
and I wonder, I mean, that could be a couple different things. I, I, I It's funny to think that Macbeth is going to be an hour, 45 minutes. I was like, huh, yeah. okay. Yeah, like, sure. The, but yeah, the, the choice to do that, I wonder why that was. Was it because they thought people already had the context, like the audience already had the context for Macbeth, so they didn't have to do it? Did they want to tell to Shahir, to, to your point, like, is it different because now the uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are in their 60s? They're older? Like, it's not the same type of, like, does that matter? But, like, again, I, I you're right, Foreign. I, I felt like, yeah, he's just, oh, he's ready to fucking murder. Exactly. Like, he's just in. <laughs> he's just committing regicide, like, just off yeah. the jump. And, like, and I, maybe it's the time of TikTok, you know? Maybe it's, uh, they, maybe they're just the like, Collins, you know what? Uh, the Cohens have finally succumbed to TikTok. Exactly. Well, the Cohen singular <laughs> Yes. Time. And, I, and I was, I was rather, I, I was just like, damn, he's already killing Duncan. I'm like, <laughs> like, he didn't even talk about it. And I always hated Lady Macbeth. And I think yeah. that, I think that she was represented very, well in this um mm -hmm. my my fiance was just like why is she so sexual and i'm like i know she makes my skin crawl you know just <laughs> everything she say just exudes this sexuality and and also her her being this um now more mature woman and also having that in her it's just very very interesting to see it play she she disgusts me and she's supposed to and, yes. and and makes me very steeled in her character. But yet again, and it goes back to just the performances, uh, so we could talk about the acting a bit. And I and I think, like I said, uh, like you said, The Witches, by far, by far stole the show for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I also, you know, it was weird not hearing any type of accents, any type of, just hearing like Denzel in a straight up American accent, the same <laughs> accent that he's had in pretty much every movie. And I was yeah. just like, okay, this is Denzel. This isn't Macbeth, this is Denzel. And like, that's how I felt when I was watching it. I was just like, you know, he's really just talking like he's like, he's from Detroit and everybody else is just from, you know, I don't know, Bumbacloud, yeah. Iowa. Like, I don't know where they are. Like, where are they? Like, where are we? And it just felt like this Twilight Zone. And that was a little disorienting for me. Uh, but I guess it was supposed to be. After after the hearing, yeah, depiction of it, um, you know, I I really kind of empathized with it a little bit more and I could appreciate it. Uh, I did feel like I didn't have much of a footing, but just that lack of any type of culture to to bring it together i guess may have brought out some other elements in it that i didn't see in the other films well to, yeah. to that to that point uh this is you know like we should maybe uh, uh talk about this fact as well which is that this is the first film by uh joel cohen on his own uh without mm. ethan cohen and so uh we are of course uh well i am a big fan on the show of, of the cohen brothers we've talked about them at, at length um and 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 i think the things that make the cohen's interesting is that their understanding of both their visual language is is extremely sophisticated mm -hmm. but their also understanding of plot mechanics and how to like escalate plot mechanics is what's you know it's it's what makes fargo so great sure. uh it what's it, it's what makes no country for old men so great mm. um you know like they they do understand the mechanisms of plot in order to propel a story forward and the interesting thing is is that macbeth as a story um as old as as it is has a sort of perfect ticking clock of a plot you know like there is like at the very heart of Macbeth is this idea that that uh, do we have free will 
or uh, are we bound to choice? You know, like do the choices we uh, make, are they just a facade for what we want to happen? Uh, which is, you know, like this sort of idea of the prophecy of the witches, uh, you know, happening to Macbeth. He, you know, he believes it to be true. And so he enacts it to be true. So was it going to be true because of he, because he mm-hmm. knew it to be true or because he wanted it to be true? And I think that's, that's the sort of interesting dynamic in there. But the, the second to that is like his then realization that Banquo has a son and that he does not. And therefore, the second half of the prophecy he has to take into into all seriousness and that causes this sort of like mechanism of plot to happen and of course the story has that sort of brilliant mechanics of like how does it work and then even uh, you know it, and this is true in the other versions is like the, the prophecies become sort of foolish towards an end you know which is like at the end Macbeth knows that uh, th- that he will never lose his kingdom unless the forest marches towards him yeah, and Wood. you know that is a, a, a sort of a beautiful plot point because then the the Macduff's invading army uses the forest in order to march towards mm. them. Um, so the interesting thing I think is that despite all of that, despite the context that the the, the Cohen, you know, even the singular version has that beautiful understanding, this film doesn't really propel forward in the kind of sense of. I don't feel trapped for Macbeth, and I don't feel like like I think when Macbeth really works as a play is when you understand what he's doing from the context of okay he's made this one decision and now it is a cascade of decisions that need to follow it Mm -hmm. and we need to you know like we sort of despite you know we don't have to be on his side about it but we have to sort of understand the cascading decisions that lead him to where he is by the end of the film and as a film I will say for me personally I didn't feel that sort of cascade of it I felt like it was more of a well, this there's this you know like we know that this scene is going to happen. We know that Lady Macbeth will yeah. feel some regret for it. We know that Duncan will die. We know that Macbeth will choose to kill Banquo, right. and you know his son will survive. And we know that he will go after Macduff. And we know that there will be a war between Macduff and uh, uh, Duncan's son and uh, Macbeth, and and it will go even worse than it thinks. But there was not this sort of like propulsion and this sort of like intricacy to that plot that I think I the motivation. It just, yeah, that it just I doesn't felt feel it. In, yeah. No, I agree. I think, what do you think? What are you saying, Matt? Oh, sorry. So, so I, it's weird. That both of uh, like all of the things we're saying are sort of solidifying a couple things that I had and I lost. I'm going to try to talk myself back into <laughs> the thing that made me latch on and why I sort of in, the, the elements that I enjoyed it being that it was in this sort of sparse diorama void nonsense place. Also, I think did poison. Uh, and I think both of you have said different versions of this, did sort of poison the the why of it. Like, yes, it's in this void. It's in this sort of clean, nonsense, d- demi-plane of nothingness. And that looks awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then where's the heart of that? Like, there is no... I never felt that Macbeth was trapped. I never felt that he was sort of in a in a machine of his own design, sort of uh, trying to you know get away. But I also never felt that uh, the turn was like weirdly justified because I kind of brushed through it. And because we didn't have any, um, especially in the beginning, although throughout, any real like culture to lean back on about grievances or or any like just nice. anything that could have connected these characters in a way to make that speed appropriate the quickness of that is gone so like yeah and i and i originally i took it for 
oh, well, they're expecting people to know Macbeth and that's why they're doing it. I don't think that's the case. I think that uh, Joel Cohen, right? It was Joel. Joel Cohen, yeah. Uh, um, is it, oh, well, actually. I think it was Joel. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the IMDb page. I'll look this up. I know this. I did my research. <laughs> it's Joel. Joel. It's yeah. Joel. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, I think it's funny. It was a blatant choice that I think has many strengths. But And when I think about this movie, I think, ooh, I liked it. But talking about it, <laughs> I like it less. Like, like in a and that's, I, I don't, hmm. I don't know. What do we what do we think about sort of that angle of it? What do you got you here? Well, I, I think there's some the, to me, there was like two sides to this, which is we've had this actual conversation about uh, the phrase unnecessary at some point. Oh, no, uh, let's not do that. We, we brought up the, the, the phrase unnecessary and it, it caused uh, it caused a lot of grievances on this podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. We argue a lot more than this normally. Yeah. For, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But We're on I, our good I, behavior. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, again, it's an adaptation. There, there are several adaptations of this, so I, you know, like when I watched it, I kind of, I, that, that, the meaning of that phrase unnecessary popped up in my head a lot. Uh, you know, like, was this an unnecessary one? And I think, to some extent, it is unnecessary because it doesn't, it, it does a lot of really interesting things, and it is visually beautiful, but, mm-hmm. you know, like, in the pantheon of, of adaptations of Macbeth, is it one that I think I hold up to, to others? No. I, you know, like, the Kurosawa, you know, uh, Throne of Blood to me is is the one that actually, like, both uh, takes Macbeth into an, into another realm by, by setting it in feudal Japan, but also mm-hmm. gets right a lot of the mechanisms and the, the, the sort of uh, the problems of ambition and power that Macbeth actually deals with as a story itself. That, that's the one that really, of all the viewings I did, really held up. Um, but at the same time as well, I was like, well, um, in the body of work of the Coens, uh, for example, I think there are a lot of minor note films in their, in their body of work. And, and the thing that is sort of interesting about them is that they just churn they just churn out movies. And what's amazing about them is like 80% of their movies are amazing you know like 80 percent of their movies like their hit rate in terms of like creating some of the great great movies of our generation is pretty high um so like if this is a minor footnote in that body of work then it's like it's okay you know like it's fine like like i don't love burn after reading i don't love the lady killers you know like it's fine um i I love hudsucker proxy which is you know like a weird one but um but you know like it's it's fine and 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 i think i'm again we're also in this other phase of you know post pandemic kind of <laughs> viewership oh. where where something like this appearing on apple tv and readily accessible makes it just sort of you know yeah i i'm Consumable. i'm down to watch this even if i even though ultimately i kind of feel like it is not it is not my favorite adaptation of Macbeth, and it is not my favorite Coen Brothers film, and it is not my favorite Denzel Washington film. It's it's it, you know it's not my favorite Shakespeare either. It's it's sort of just yeah. yeah. And of course, by post pandemic, you mean still in pandemic. Yeah, still in the yeah. Pandemic, post yeah. the change media had due to the pandemic. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, I. The more the more I think about it, the less it affected me. I think that's kind of my short my short form thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I I felt. I, honestly, like I watched it, and my fiance and I both fell asleep. Like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> after I think after he killed Duncan, 
um, she was just totally like it was weird to hear the old English for her, I believe. But yeah. it was weird for me to hear the old English and also hear just very modern accents. It was yeah. just very disorienting. I was just like, okay, they're they're saying thou and half and all of this, right? But at the same time, they also they sound like they could just be from down the road. And I'm like, <laughs> it it's very weird. Um, mm. and it did hurt the immersion for me at times. The witches brought me back. The set was amazing. The 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 cinematography was just absolutely inspired. It's a art. It's a art um, student's dream, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I I did not feel that that really for me Macbeth is a is a is a character like just a character dive for me. Mm. Just you know understanding Macbeth and his descent into complete avarice and just being a total slave to his own ambition is probably one of the most poignant stories that have ever has ever been written and yeah. i think that denzel just speed run through it like mario um 64 <laughs> and i was just like he, the the lines had absolutely no direction there was no stanislavski in pauses but the thing is what hurts me more it's the same thing that hurts me with jimmy carter like i know what you can do like you can do better than this you know, I, I've seen what you've done. And I'm not saying... I understand um, what Shamir is saying as well. Like, he has this temperament. Um, Denzel commands this stage presence that immediately you you have to watch him. I agree. I love seeing him. It's the same way I feel about... um. Oh, uh, Sp um, Spader, um, James Spader. James Spader. Oh yeah, the same way I feel about. I could watch him do anything. I could watch him paint. I could watch him yeah. be Bob Ross, and I swear he he could just command me. Say say whatever you want. I yeah. but yeah. I, but Denzel, you're Macbeth, um, mm. and I think that Cohen at the same time. I agree. You know, sometimes you don't want uh, you know, filet mignon. Sometimes you want McDonald's. You know, sometimes sometimes you just sometimes need. Sometimes you to want McDuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just want to, like, you know, put out something, put out something for Apple TV. Who knows the restrictions of COVID? Who knows all of these different things in the context? And mm -hmm. I think that that all should be, should be taken into account for filmmaking at this point. It's a it's a mechanism in film. Just having to deal with COVID and the things that you have to go around for hurdles is a part of the creative process. But at the same time, I can't imagine that Cohen didn't understand the gravity of doing a, a Macbeth Shakespearean film, knowing how canonical Shakespeare is. And... I can agree that, you know, the colonial pursuits and imperial pursuits of Shakespeare and what he is as a figure, we could dissect that, we could talk about that, but at the same time, if you want to honor, it's a good piece, it's a good piece of work. You know, yeah. you don't even have to be Christian to appreciate that the Bible is a good book. Um, yeah. And I think that you can, I think that when you read Macbeth and you get the gravity of that and then seeing it articulated in this way, I just felt somewhat underwhelmed. Um, I have to watch it again, though. <laughs> but at the, at the same time, the, like, there, there's a part of me that goes, Macbeth, every, every time you go see Macbeth, if you saw it on stage, if you see it in a film, it is always an adaptation. And there are so many adaptations of it. And, mm -hmm. I, and I, I, the only thing I wonder about is if we're getting into this um, culture of wanting the cinematic adaptation to be definitive... And mm. it doesn't need to be. Doesn't does does this like there are number of Macbeths and they're all interesting in their own ways. And and even this is visually interesting, visually compelling in mm. a way that several aren't. And I think the way the witches are done, for example, in mm. this version is probably better than in any other version I've seen. And does it you know like it I, in my and again it comes down to this sort of post pandemic sort of treatment of it. 
is like it doesn't need to be definitive. And, be, and, and I think that's unique, again, to this Shakespearean adaptation because it's the same text every time. It is always interpretive. And it is always like, you know, it's not like we're, you know, like we're not always, we're not modifying it uh, in, in sort of grand ways. And I, and I think, you know, to that end, it, they can be these like oddly um, uh repeated motives in 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 an adaptation like this and like if if a high schooler in 10 years time gets this version to watch as the high school version that they watch you know when they're reading the book uh, when they're reading the play then you know I, I, it's not gonna that's that's fine then know? is it then is it shahir unnecessary oh. <laughs> i i in terms of unnecessary i i we where this came to a hit is i think is the nuance in the conversation around the phrase unnecessary which is that and if, if i remember correctly the way this conversation has evolved through this podcast... It's been a while. ...was that the second Tom Holland Spider-Man... Spider oh, sure. ...was a film that I felt was unnecessary because it was uninteresting and it didn't move the story forward in any, in any sort of meaningful way. But then the conversation came back when we talked about Breaking Bad, uh, the, the uh, El Camino, the Breaking Bad film, okay. which I also felt was unnecessary but also kind of nice to watch. Um, but then isn't that ne like because no, I, I don't no, want to I, I, I don't, I don't want to dig up this this yeah. this this deep deep mm -hmm. grave. Yeah. But I find I <laughs> I think how this always ends is I find the labeling of a film unnecessary unnecessary. <laughs> uh, I, I like there's always going to be uh, a, a film can be necessary to one person and not necessary to another. Um, and but, I like but, I like the which reading. is fine. But then doesn't that devoid it from being having a critical conversation about it? Not at all. I, you can have a very critical conversation. But no, no. when you when you start when you start judging uh, whether or not an entire piece of art or media or thing should or should not exist. I don't think that what, that's what unnecessary means, whether it shouldn't we're exist. We're going into the weeds. Yeah. We, I don't want to drag our guest into this shit. This is like, like we're though. airing our dirty laundry. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think about the word unnecessary? <laughs> I feel no. it. I honestly do. I agree with you because, you know, once you begin to think about if, if you have the right to deem something unnecessary when someone else has been able to find value in it, I think that that does begin to get into some epistemolo epistemological um implications of what it is to be a critic and i think yeah, the criticism exactly. is is exactly what you need in order to transcend the art i think that what what this is is art in itself the criticism yeah. is an extension mm -hmm. and a a furthering of it's an expansion of that artistic process so i i think it's fine to say you know that some things Mate, jeez, I, I hope I don't get cancelled for saying something is unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> but but if you, you see my content, I mean, I cancel myself every week. But I mean, like, I at the end of the day, I think that it, I think that um, I think the Macbeth in this case, this interpretation, I understand what Shamir is saying. Like, if if this is the first introduction to Macbeth, honestly, I disagree with you, Shamir. I'd I'd be I'd be sorry. I'd pity mm. those who who had to watch this. <laughs> on on their on their flat screen TV or their on their mobile device as their first encountering of Macbeth because I can imagine how they can flippantly interact with that plot device of ambition and just like how 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 he just just totally you know callously went over that uh, Denzel mm -hmm. I I I'd feel bad. Um, to know that th I would honestly encourage them because the only things that I've never watched um, 
about that film. I've yeah. watched the plays and I've read it. Um, and every time I I was able to witness that descent, and that is just absolutely necessary. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I I think that that is so uh, critical to the film. Uh, so to know that that this could be the introduction, and I think that this might be. Um, I mm. I agree with uh, um, what Matt and you were saying earlier about. Uh, some people may not have context of, of Shakespeare, despite it being so canonical, so, you know, mm. s- such a part of the zeitgeist at this point. I think that Shakespeare is just that old where people are beginning to find uh, other things to clatch on to. Instead of reading Shakespeare, they're watching, oh, I don't know, um, Breaking Bad or, or mm. you know, some Netflix. Succession right now. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's sort of a great King Lear adaptation. Oh, <laughs> we're still watching honestly i'm sorry this is a tangent but everybody's no, been trying it. to get me to watch succession and i have been on hb i got i got succession just i got hbo now just for succession me and my fiance have been watching it and i and i'm there's parts of it that i like i like the character depth i like the character development but i can't i can't say that i'm i'm just like people have been saying oh this is the goat this is the best thing on tv <laughs> this, is, this is amazing this is the best thing since sliced bread i'm like this is just some of the widest shit i've ever watched in my life yeah. <laughs> like, i haven't watched it i haven't watched it and i have no desire to watch it and i i feel like I, this is a safe space to say that because if i say that in many other circles Ooh. people are like what the fuck <laughs> like I, I i i don't care i i don't know why i just nothing about it has spoken to Lo- me at logan least roy in succession is one of my favorite shakespeare conversations which is that he goes to a house where everyone quotes Shakespeare and he, you know, like he's, he's irritated by it. And then he, and there's a whole episode. And then at the end of it, he goes, by the way, do you know what you want to hear my favorite Shakespeare quote? And everyone turns and they're like, you know, Shakespeare, and he goes, take the fucking money and walks out. And that's the end of the episode. He did <laughs> say like, that. Great. I didn't yeah. even, re- it's sad that I didn't even realize that. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, succession is just, I don't I don't get it. I really it, it's like friends to me. It's like Seinfeld to me. Like it's it's one of those things that everybody's just like this is amazing. How are you not laughing? I'm just like I don't think this is meant for me. Like yeah, I, I might not happens. be in this audience. I don't know. Oh, I... Well, uh, this has been the only podcast about the television show Succession. Succession. No, uh, <laughs> the only podcast about the film The Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, foreign Thank you so much for coming on and chatting and lending your expertise on this subject where Shahir and I sorely laugh. Um, Where can folks find you and all of the awesome stuff you do on the interwebs? Oh, it's it's been a privilege and a pleasure, y'all. I I really had fun. Um, And you can really find me at this point on YouTube, Foreign Man in a Foreign Land. Um, I'm trying to save Caribbean culture through commentary. And you can see me excoriating films like the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, the Bond franchise, or discussing how Snoop Dogg's Rastafarian phase is absolutely abysmal. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, I don't get anybody in my comments tomorrow talking about how what I do is totally unnecessary. But <laughs> I think that this was absolutely necessary of a podcast. It was absolutely a blast for me, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
Uh, Shahir, when you are not uh, <laughs> biting your thumb at me, sir, where can folks find you? You can find me necessarily um, <laughs> on my website at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are being projected into a mirror and seeing triplicates of yourself by which you uh, exude prophecies on the internet, where can people find you? You can find me uh, adding the blood of a bat, uh, <laughs> definitely adding that, adding that over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life and works, also Skeletor, the number four, Pierre on Instagram, or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works uh, we are doing over on Extra Credits. What's happening by the time this launches? Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, oh, my. Wow. I just looked at the schedule. We're actually doing our literature series, our literature series, so you haven't read. By the time this comes out, we are doing an episode on a Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, and my we've word. we've also already done Romeo and Juliet, but now yeah, this all times out so nicely. It's, there you go. You love I, to I also see wanted it. to point out as well. Um, uh, there's a there's a lot of conversation uh, about the look of this film that we've we've discussed on this episode, and the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Uh, but uh, Alex Limke, who's actually been on the show uh, in our episode about uh, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk was the visual effects supervisor and i think there is mm-hmm. to this particular film uh, quite a degree of work that is done by both the production designer and uh the visual effects team to actually like bring this work to life yeah. um so it, it's a gorgeous, good last you know, minute sneak in what's that i said good last minute sneak in i'm glad you yeah no that i up. just I, you know like i would feel bad because there's so much <laughs> under agree. the hood work that goes on to in a film like this and if you again if you listen to uh our episode on billy lynn's long halftime walk you'll kind of hear how much uh unseen work goes on behind the scenes in particular in a film like this um so uh you know just necessary to shout work out, uh, alex Lincoln, uh and the entire visual effects <laughs> team in everything we've watched yes uh next week we're Doing a movie. I don't know. Hey, look, uh, <laughs> what, what have you been watching oh, other yeah. than what other than Succession? What are you excited <laughs> to see? Oh. What are you watching? What is something that you think we should talk about on the show? Just to put you on the spot for a second. Oh wow! Um, watch could um, be anything. By this the is, way, this is this is great. On this Black anything. History Month, I I feel obligated. Um, P Valley. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's on HBO now. I okay. th- actually no sorry it's on stars i apologize it's on stars okay. um it's absolutely probably the best series that i've watched uh it has two women directing um mm-hmm. and it is a deep dive into wow it's it's a it's a movie about uh stripping in atlanta mm-hmm. but it's far more it's absolutely far yeah. more it's challenged me on gender it's challenged me on sexuality it's challenged me on sex work it's challenging me on racism uh, it's it's so much in there. It's it's I can't extol it enough. P Valley, uh, they're coming up with another season in a month, and it's I I can't wait to watch it. I've watched it twice, and it's probably one of the only series I've watched twice. Also, Watchmen um, on HBO yep. now, I believe. Uh, yep, with yep. Regina King, I think. Yeah, Regina King. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that it's was. A, it's a. That's an amazing adaptation. It's oh, that's yeah. insane. Staggering. It's so good. If you want to talk about adaptations of things like that, that is that is how you do yeah. it. That is how you do yep. it. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, the other stuff I've been watching is extra credits. <laughs> Very much appreciate. Um, we'll do no, an episode uh, about extra credits. No, please, let's not. <laughs> Meta. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to hear what she thinks is necessary on my on my channel. Uh, um. <laughs> Uh, no, we'll talk at you all next week. Thank you so much for listening. Email us in with your thoughts about uh, the tragedy of Macbeth or any of the stuff we've talked about at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at onlymoviepod. And we will talk into your ears next week. Uh, Foreign, thank you so much again. Thank you. And uh, yeah, talk to you all later. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.